you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. LAS Studios. 여보세요? 네, 비비아니야? 네, 저 들리세요? 어, 들려. This is me chatting with my almost 90-year-old grandma. She's at home in Los Angeles. And when I imagine her on the phone, I picture her wearing a matching set of floral PJs. Historically, our phone conversations have never lasted more than 10 minutes. And they've always followed the same sort of script. Is everything good with you? Did you catch a cold? You can't catch a cold? Things like that. But then, a couple years ago, during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, our conversations changed. For one thing, don't catch a cold became don't get COVID. But the main difference was that my grandma sounded really happy. Like, uncharacteristically happy. (laughs) (laughs) And this change in, like, her entire personality, basically, it happened during lockdown when she started watching a show called Mr. Trot. She loves this show so much, our phone conversations have gone from 10 minutes to, like, 30, 40 minutes of her just telling me about this show. Mr. Trot this, Mr. Trot that. Mr. Trot is this singing competition show in Korea that aired during the pandemic. It was super popular, and it was kind of like American Idol, except the contestants only sang one genre of Korean music, called trot. And trot has this really distinct old folk type of sound. The show was so popular, it led to a resurgence in the genre. And suddenly, the songs from the show were topping the charts. Like in Korea, young people were becoming fans of the music. And this was the first time I learned about Trot, too. It was through Mr. Trot. This, by the way, is my grandma's favorite singer to come out of the show. His name is Im Young-ung, and he actually won the whole thing. Like, he was crowned Mr. Trot. Im Young-ung, he's 31, clean-cut, an amazing singer. And my grandma is his biggest fan. She has a poster of him on her wall, photos of him everywhere. She even has a coffee mug with his portrait on it, which really blows my mind because I have never known my grandma to be a fan of anyone before. Like, this is her saying she loves Im Young-wung as much as she loves me. I'm 
똑같이 사랑해. <웃음> 똑같이요? <웃음> I'm really thankful that my grandma discovered Mr. Trot. Because before the show, she was crying every day. She was depressed and worried sick about our family and me. And she says, Mr. Trot saved her life. And I don't think she's exaggerating. My grandma's connection to Trot music, it goes so far back. She tells me the history of Trot goes back a hundred years. It's the music she listened to since she was little. And she says it's so nice to hear the music again. The whole reason I'm talking to my grandma about this genre, Trot, is because it's actually the origin point of an elusive element that some say is the key to K-pop today. From Elias Studios, this is K-pop Dreaming. I'm Vivian Yoon, and in today's episode, we are going to take a deep dive into Trot. And I'm going to dive into my own family story to see how Trot has evolved with Korea's history and culture to try and understand how this century-old genre has played a part in making K-pop what it is today. We'll be right back. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at Elias.com slash sweeps. Elias has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAS.com events. I lived with my grandma from the time I was 8 until I was 18. And during that time, she never told me a single story about her life before America. Or even her life before me. And I think this is a common experience for children and grandchildren of immigrants, where a lot of us just aren't aware of our family histories. For me and my grandma specifically, we never had a great relationship. My grandma put a lot of pressure on me from the time I was young to study hard and go to UCLA, which I didn't, by the way. But by the time I was in high school, my grandma constantly expressed her disappointment in me. She thought I had so much potential and I was throwing it all away by not devoting my life to my studies, which led to a lot of resentment on my part. Because, you know, I had that whole misunderstood teen thing going on. But on top of that, I couldn't communicate my frustration. My grandma only spoke Korean, and even though I spoke it too, my vocabulary was really limited, and I could only say basic things. So I never said anything to her. 
I just lived at the house feeling like she didn't know me. And I didn't care to get to know her either. But that was a long time ago. We don't live together anymore, but I call her at least once a month. And these conversations we've been having about Trot, this is really the first time I'm getting to hear her story. My grandma was born in Seoul, Korea in 1934. During this time, Korea was colonized by the Japanese Empire. The occupation started in 1910 and went until 1945. So for 35 years, Korea was under Japanese rule. And if you ever hear things in the news today about tensions between Japan and Korea, this is where a lot of it stems from, 1910 to 1945. During this period, a lot of atrocities were committed against Koreans. And Japanese rule limited Koreans' freedom of speech and assembly. Japan also tried to extinguish Korean culture and identity by replacing it with Japanese culture. My grandma told me about the March 1st movement, which happened in 1919, before she was born. During the movement, protests ignited across the peninsula. And the Japanese government was so shocked by how ferocious and intense these protests were that it actually loosened its grip over the next decade or so. Both Japanese and Korean pop culture flourished during this period. And around this time is when Trot was born. So Trot really came about in the 1920s and 30s. This is Jungmin Mina Lee. She is a musicologist of Korean music at Duke University. And according to Mina, Trot sounded really similar to a genre of popular Japanese music that entered Korea during this time, called enka. Enka was a combination of Japanese, American, and European musical elements. But typically, it sounded like this. And the music came over to Korea because of colonization. Some of the early trots in Korea were adaptations of these newly formed Japanese songs. And then in the 1930s, Korean composers began to compose their own popular songs. By this time, the Japanese grip on Korean culture had tightened again. The 1919 protests were over a decade ago. And now the hammer is like really coming down hard on Korean culture. So these Korean songwriters start creating trot songs that sound a lot like Japanese enka, but are sung in Korean with Korean lyrics. And in some of these songs, the songwriters slip in double meanings into the lyrics to covertly reference the collective angst and suffering felt by the Korean people, right? Like they were giving a secret voice to their resistance through these songs. And in 1935, this song comes out. Mokpo-e nunmul, or Tears of Mokpo. Here's Mina again. I would say the 1935 Tears of Mokpo sung by Inan Young is really characteristic of the 1930s trot. 
song has all the musical trademarks of Trot, including super sad lyrics about loss and yearning and homesickness. The song tells the story of a bride waiting for her beloved to return to a seaport city called Mokpo. And one line in particular was said to hint at Korea's rage and resentment towards colonization. According to the songwriters, the line was, the 300-year wind of Mandarin ducks is under Nojakbong Peak. Which sounds confusing until you realize the phrase for wind of Mandarin ducks in Korean, wanangpung, sounds really similar to the words for holding a grudge or resentment, wanhanpumun. Meaning, 300 years of resentment held under Nojokbong Peak. And this line set off the colonial police, who brought the songwriters in for questioning. The writers talked their way out of trouble, but word spread among Koreans, and the record sold tons of copies. And the female singer, a 19-year-old named Inanyong, became a star. One critic even said her voice was the essence of Korean blues. And the Korean people dubbed Tears of Mokpo a song of the nation. My grandma was too young to remember the song. She was only a year old at the time. But she does remember the overall atmosphere in Korea in the 1930s. In 1939, Japan issued a policy that pressured Koreans into adopting Japanese names. My grandma says people were told to change their names, and those who didn't brought unwanted attention to themselves, so nearly everyone complied. This policy was part of a broader effort to stamp out Korean identity and culture, and language was a huge part of it. So at five years old, my grandma took on a new name, Ishihara. I had never known this, and when I heard it, I had a flashback to when I was a kid. When I was around 10 or 11, I went into my grandma's room, which I rarely did. It had this distinct smell, like old books, and on her wooden nightstand was a piece of paper with Japanese writing on it. And I remember being confused by that. But now, hearing this, that memory clicks into place, because by 1940, Students like my grandma were only allowed to speak Japanese at school. All the lessons were taught in Japanese, and speaking or writing in Korean was actually banned in most public spaces. You could only speak Korean in private, among other Koreans. But my grandma says even though people weren't allowed to sing Korean folk songs in public, they still sang them at home. My grandma says her entire family was tone deaf, but my great-grandfather had a gramophone and played records day and night. 
노래는 못하는데 뭐 노래를 좋아하셔서 그걸 사다 놓으시고 밤나 그걸 틀으셨어. 그래서 귀엘 이것지. And my grandma's family listened to the popular Korean music at the time, which was trot. Like this song, Tearful Tuman River. I don't know if my great-grandfather saw playing these records as small acts of defiance against the Japanese government, but I do think it's a testament to how difficult it is to stamp out culture. Like, even though kids were only allowed to speak Japanese at school, my grandma says that on the playground during breaks, they still spoke and sang songs in Korean. This was my grandma's favorite song as a kid. It's called Spring in My Hometown, and the words go, My home is a mountainous area where flowers bloom. To be clear, that song isn't trot. Trot had a much more distinct sound. So what did it sound like? I think I need to explain some of the musical features of trot. This is Mina again, the musicologist. One of the defining characteristics of early trot was the scales used in these songs. So in early trot, um, the pentatonic major scale, where the fourth and seventh notes of the major scale are omitted. Do, re, mi, sol, la. And the minor scale. And then there was a minor scale, which is called miyakubushi scale. It sounds like la, ti, do, mi, fa. So these two scales were the foundational scales of either enka or trot early on. Another really important element of trot were the vocals. The lower notes were sung with vibrato, while the higher notes were sung with a technique called gokki, where the singer uses their voice to split a note into two or four. This is Nahuna, a famous trot singer who's known for the use of this technique. And then you have the quintessential two-beat rhythm, or duple meter, which is the rhythm used in the foxtrot. This is also where the name trot comes from. Trot, foxtrot. You get it. The duple meter is strong, weak, strong, weak. So what we might, you know, we might say oompa, 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 oompa. Koreans had a different way of expressing it. In Korean, that's bong jak, bong jak, bong jak, bong jak. Remember this word, bong jak, or bong for short. It'll be important when we talk about K-pop later. But beyond music theory, trot was also characterized by storytelling and super sad themes. In the lyrics and the melodies, trot had this feeling of nostalgia and loss a dreamy wistfulness rooted in sorrow. So, put all those components together, and you get this. An early-era trot song. So 
So that's what early trot sounded like. But like any other genre of music, trot evolved over the years as big historical moments shaped the country. Like in 1945, when Korea was liberated from Japan. That's coming up after the break. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at las.com slash events. See you there. Harole is your connection to Los Angeles. Get to know its history. The 1920s were a huge boom time in Los Angeles, and downtown was just exploding. Its politics. It's the biggest local prosecutor's office in the country. And its food. Korean spices with like a hint of sweetness. And just everything we love about L.A. Subscribe to How to L.A. from L.A. Studios wherever you listen to podcasts. In 1939, when my grandma was five years old, speaking Japanese at school and singing that kid's song on the playground, something else was happening on a global scale. The beginning of World War II. There were the Allies, which included the U.S., U.K., and Soviet Union, and the Axis powers made up of Germany, Italy, and Japan, which, by default, included the colony of Korea. In 1941, Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. And Koreans were terrified. My grandma was 11 at the time, and there were rumors that the U.S. might come to Korea and bomb the big cities. So my grandma's family retreated from the big city, Seoul, to a small town in the countryside. That's where they were in 1945, when the U.S. bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki, killing hundreds of thousands of civilians and bringing World War II to an end. Soon after, Japan relinquished control of Korea. The date was August 15, 1945. National Liberation Day, or in Korean, Gwangbokjeol, the day the light returned. I asked my grandma to tell me about that day. She was at home in that small town with her family, and she heard the news on the radio with her father. He shouted out, saying they were liberated. Everyone in the countryside spilled out of their homes onto the streets, holding the Korean flag, dancing with joy. As their new reality sunk in, someone broke into song, and everyone in the village joined in. The lyrics to this song would eventually become the words to the Korean national anthem. Mm -hmm. 
As for trot, the genre changed in a few ways. Before liberation, the music had mostly been enjoyed by the upper classes. But after liberation, the genre expanded to the masses and became embraced by Koreans as a national kind of music. The themes in the songs varied, but some trot songs explicitly reflected the struggles of the time, something that continued as the country entered its next big conflict, the Korean War. After World War II, Korea was split into two halves along the 38th parallel, with the Soviet Union in the north and the U.S. in the south. Early one morning in the summer of 1950, my grandmother woke up to a loud boom. She had moved back to Seoul with her family and was 16 at the time, in her first year of high school. And after waking up to the sound of bombs, she turned on the radio and heard the North had attacked. This was June 25, 1950, or as Koreans call it, Yu-Gi-Oh! The day North Korea invaded South Korea, severing ties between family members who were on different sides of that foreign-made 38th parallel. My grandma said people were afraid that if they stayed in Seoul, they would die. So she and her family made the decision to flee the city and head down south. They boarded a train which was crammed full of people, and a trip that normally only took a few hours stretched out to two whole days as the train kept stopping to board more and more passengers. My grandma says they were packed in tight, like bean sprouts. Everyone on the train was crying. Families had been torn apart at the train station as some people made it on the train and others were left behind. During the ride, some people even fell off and died. My grandma says thinking about it now, she gets goosebumps and is filled with fear. The Korean War was an incredibly traumatic time for Koreans everywhere, as families were torn apart and people had to flee their homes. Trot music became a source of comfort during this time, and some songs even reflected the struggles of the war. Like this song called Be Strong Kumsun by Hyunin, which was released in 1953. The singer laments being separated from a family member during the war, and it's full of references to specific political moments. And he's telling his family member to be strong and hoping for reunification of North and South Korea so he can be reunited with his family. The Korean War never ended. 
The fighting stopped in 1953, but technically, the war is still going on. And many families who were separated during that time never reunited. Brothers and sisters, parents and children lost each other. And that grief is still felt in many Koreans today. After the war, my grandma went back to Seoul, where she met my grandfather. They got married, had two kids, and in the early 1970s, they immigrated to the U.S. As for Trot, from the 1950s onward, the genre experienced a ton of changes as other types of music entered Korea's pop culture sphere. Let's talk about 1950s. Here's Mina again, the musicologist at Duke. So it's the end of the Korean War and poverty, but it also meant the presence of American military. The American military forces that were deployed to Korea, they just sort of stayed there and never left. They're actually still stationed in Korea today. So 1960s marked really the beginning of the transformation of TROT. And there are a couple of different reasons. One was the park government censored popular songs. In 1961, a dictator named Park Jong-hee takes over South Korea and starts censoring popular music. And he takes Trot off the radio. But Park didn't just ban Trot. He banned sad music in general. Because he wanted a soundtrack of so-called healthy and patriotic songs for the nation's rebuilding. But of course, these standards were very arbitrary. So Park censored songs that he thought carried Japanese sensibilities or rebellious tones or, you know, contained anything that personally offended him. Which meant Korean popular music suddenly sounded like this song, Man in a Yellow Shirt by Han Myung-suk from 1962. The composers were kind of forced into writing the songs that met the government's policy. And what that meant was that the lyrics were less dark. Less about sorrow, less about frustration, less about resignation, but more about hope and the joy of life. Meanwhile, the American military is still bringing in American music and culture, like rock and roll. Just like the 30s and 40s, when American jazz kind of, although subtle, influenced trap music, 1960s rock and roll and standard pop began to influence trap. Through the 70s, Korea stays in happy trot time. This singer, Namjin, was literally dubbed the Korean Elvis. And he actually dressed and performed like Elvis Presley. By the 1980s, trot was everywhere. And then, in the early 90s, a new sound emerged in South Korea, changing everything. K-pop. Whenever I talk to people in the Korean music industry about K-pop, they all say the same thing. That K-pop has its own distinct flavor that sets it apart from other kinds of pop music. When I started um, working with K-pop, you know, they would say, we want to sound like, 
you know, uh, they'll give some references maybe to like, um, uh, you know, an American or a Western artist. This is Kairos. He's a Korean-American music producer who has worked with a ton of K-pop groups like Stray Kids, Twice, and Shiny. If the song sounded too Western, they'll say, no, we don't, it cannot be this way. You know, it has to be still in the lane of what works for K-pop. And the thing that works for K-pop? In Korean, it's called bong. Bong, as in bongjak. Remember? Bongjak, 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 bongjak. <laughs> you know, there are certain elements or certain vibe or feeling when you get, when you hear a song. But there's no formula for that. It's just something that we just feel. And that emotional aspect of songwriting is what we call soul. That soul element, that's bong. And it comes from Trot, this music that is tied to Korea's long and troubled history. So the thing that makes K-pop distinct, it comes from Korean history. But bong can be hard to pin down. It's not one musical element we can point to. It's more of a feeling or a vibe. Everyone has a different way of describing bong. Some people say it's in the dreamy melodies and chords. Some say it's in the words. I talked to a K-pop producer named 250 to see what he thought. He's produced music for groups like NCT 127 and ITZY. And when I asked 250 where you can find Bong in today's K-pop, he immediately pointed to a song he produced last year. Hype Boy by the group New Jeans. 250 says there's this desperate or sad feeling in the song which is about pining for a lover. And the bong feel comes from the contrast of those sad lyrics with the otherwise upbeat-sounding music. It's this combination of happy and sad with dreamy chords and melodies that gives the song the feeling of bong. 250 says it's like putting salt on caramel. There's this thing that happens where the contrast between the two enhances the flavor. Koreans call it tanjan or sweet salty. For 250, that's bong. 250 told me about his new album that's based on the concept of bong. Like, he literally titled it Bong. The first song on the album is called It Was All a Dream. When I first heard this song, my heart felt like it was squeezed tight and I started tearing up. A series of images flashed in my mind. Old photographs and videos, even scenes from movies, like a flipbook taking me through 20th century Korea. And I felt the pain and hardship and resilience of my people. And I thought of my grandma, talking to her on the phone, listening to these stories from her youth. I couldn't explain it, but the music, the singing, 
It somehow contained multitudes. 저도 지금 이제 마찬가지로 엄청 울컥했었어요. 거의 울 뻔했었고 이게. 250 wasn't surprised by my reaction. He also felt like he wanted to cry when he first heard the singing. There is something so wistful and nostalgic in the music, and in the words too. This grandpa singing about the things he's experienced, then looking back and saying, "It was all a dream." There's this concept in Korean called han. It's a mixture of grief, sorrow, and resentment, a collective feeling of unresolved trauma and suffering that is essentially Korean, and it comes from our long and difficult history. Some people even think han is passed down through the generations; that it's in our blood. But there's another concept too, called hung, and it's the collective joy and energy and resilience of the people. To me. This is what's captured in Bong. All of the intangible things, the history, the collective anguish and happiness that bond us together and make us Korean. Which is why you cannot understand Bong without understanding Korean history. And as for me, I didn't know my history, my grandma's history, until now. I was born. 할머니 나이가 많아서 해방도 겪고 6.25도 겪고 뭐 많이 겪었어. My grandma says she went through a lot, experiencing the liberation and Korean War and more. And I had never heard about these experiences until these conversations. And hearing her stories, imagining her as a little kid singing on the playground or as a 16-year-old waking up to the sound of bombs. It made me see my grandma differently, and thinking about her with my grandpa, who passed away over 20 years ago, it breaks my heart. Because I lived with my grandma from the time I was eight until I was 18, and even though I felt really alone at the time, talking to her now, I realize she had also been alone, without my grandpa, stuck in a house with a miserable teen who wouldn't talk to her. But so much has changed since then, and my grandma, she doesn't feel so alone anymore. Next time on K-pop Dreaming, we see how the American military presence in South Korea brought a new sound to the country, hip-hop. In our next episode, we go to 1980 Seoul, where a tiny hip-hop club for Black American GIs brought together some of the biggest legends in K-pop history. Moonlight에서 꼼꼼한 어둠 조명 속에 춤을 추게 된 거죠. And I discover a surprising connection between that story and my mom's. 이태원을 알게 된 거는 아빠를 만나서 처음으로 알게 된 거지. That's next time on K-pop Dreaming.
K-Pop Dreaming is written and hosted by me, Vivian Yoon. The show is a production of Elias Studios. Fiona Ng is our senior producer and show creator. Our producers are James Chow, Minju Park, and me, Vivian Yoon. Sophia Paliza-Carr is our editor. Gloria Oh is our Korean researcher, translator, and fact checker. Parker McDaniels is our mix engineer and sound designed this episode. Taylor Kaufman is our director. Original music by Stephen Tran. Jens Campbell is our intern. Our consultant for this episode is Jungmin Mina Lee. Special thanks to Jacqueline Kim, Quincy Surasmith, Topher Ruth, and the Berkeley Advanced Media Studios. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. LAist Studios. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events.